Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NILA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer. We are your hosts. I'm Max Barrick. And I'm Amit Bindra. And we're doing a solo episode today, and we are actually veering a little bit off topic. It's still going to be employment law related, but we thought we would try something a little bit different and involve professional sports and the NFL. Maybe it's because Michigan and Alabama won their rivalry games yesterday. Michigan for the first time since the first Obama administration. Amit, for Alabama, that's a less infrequent thing. We beat Ohio State. You guys beat Auburn as you do. Huge, though. You're in the playoffs. We won the Iron Bowl, barely, which I'm not sure is really an accomplishment. It's a rivalry game. Auburn, that was all Auburn had left this year, and we're not in yet. We got to beat Iowa. So I think you, you'll beat Iowa. <laughs> you say that, but as a Michigan fan, this is when something terrible typically happens. Um, but anyway, anyway. yeah, today we want to talk about John Gruden's lawsuit, partially because, like Max said, it touches on employment law, but it's just kind of interesting in a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of nuances to it. So we thought it would be a good opportunity for us to talk about something in the news. Yeah. And and so I think a good starting point, because we recognize, I mean, quite frankly, I haven't really followed the NFL quite as much the last 10 years as I used to. So I know who John Gruden is, but you know, a lot of the nuance of this nuances of this are new to me too. So let's, let's give people a little bit of background here. Amit, who is John Gruden? John Gruden was the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders who were previously the Oakland Raiders. He had a long NFL career. And I believe in 2018, he signed a 10-year, $100 million contract to coach the the Raiders. And I think what's important with that contract, besides that it's it's an insanely large contract, is he hadn't been coaching. You know, a lot of the times when these coaches make leaps, get these big contracts, somebody lures them from one job to another – it's because they've got a body of work that's recent. That's not the case for John Gruden. John Gruden had a long career as a coach with the formerly Oakland Raiders in the late 90s and early 2000s, was pretty successful with them, and then got recruited to Tampa, won a Super Bowl down there with the Buccaneers, and eventually got fired, and then spent ten somewhere between 10 and 15 years as a broadcaster, being rumored as the replacement for what felt like, you know, whenever you watch college or pro football, John Gruden was number one on everybody's list as their head coach for whatever job came available. So the guy almost had a myth built around him, you know, during his broadcasting career. I think some of that probably had to do with how much he was getting paid by the Raiders to be there, right? Yeah, that's 100% true. And I think that's going to be a key to what we talk about today, too, is a lot of the allegations in the lawsuit he ends up filing are not when he's an NFL employee. He had been with ESPN for at least seven to 10 years, probably longer He was doing Monday Night Football. He was doing a lot of TV announcing. And I think because of that, he did build this myth around himself, which also means he has a lot to lose, given what what ends up happening this summer. So let's jump right. So now that we have a a rough idea of who we're dealing with, in case you haven't followed, the Raiders are no longer in Oakland. They are now in Las Vegas. And they had a coach named John Gruden, who they paid a lot, a lot of money to, who they've now fired. But coaches get fired in the NFL all the time. And that's one thing that's unique, I think, about his situation is a 10-year contract, even for a sport, seems pretty long. Obviously, most jobs don't have guaranteed contracts. The way I understood his, though I haven't seen the contract, is I think he was basically going to get to keep all of that money unless there was some big-picture cause issue to separate. And so 
here he ends up resigning and we'll get to that in a moment and i think there ends up being some sort of settlement but yeah that that's the background on john gruden and so what leads into that is a separate investigation so i don't know if people were following this but the washington football team and yes that is their actual name i think it was about last summer in july of 2020 the washington post reported that 15 females had experienced sexual or verbal abuse and that launched an investigation into the washington football team and after that, there were more reports coming out, even as going back as 2008 and 2010, about cheerleaders who found out they were being recorded without consent during swimsuit, calendar, photo shoots, stuff like that. And so um, there was an outside investigation, which collected 650,000 documents, and there were more than 150 witness interviews. So this kind of dovetails well with our re recent interview about workplace investigations. Um, right. So for those who follow the show more closely, you'll, you'll presumably by the time this show has been released, we'll have released at least one of our episodes with Rachel Ablin, who is a solo practitioner with a past career as an EEOC investigator and Walgreens in-house counsel, who's now got a, her own firm doing workplace investigations, largely of situations like this. Um, and she went into detail about the different considerations that go in, how, how you think about those, what, what happens to these documents. And that's, that's a key here because this, you know, a lot of times when an organization like a professional football team, a university investigates some culture of toxicity, sexual misconduct, or what have you, they're doing it because they want to cover themselves publicly and they want to at least create a record. And presumably they're going to try to distance themselves from the bad actors. But that didn't happen here, did it? No. And that's a great point, too, which is when the NFL in the past has conducted investigations, they've released a public report. And so if people remember about 2015 or so, there was an NFL scandal involving deflating footballs with the Patriots Deflate and Tom Gate. Brady. Deflategate, yep. Free Tom, uh, free Tom. A Michigan alum, Tom Brady, was at the center of that. And they released a report. They actually released their findings and, invest and everything they had conducted. They had similar investigations involving the Miami Dolphins and the Baltimore Ravens. And the NFL, again, in those situations, released a report. Here, they decided not to. And it's unclear why. Rachel talks a little bit about how it's kind of the discretion of the entity paying for the investigation as to whether or not they want to waive attorney-client privilege, they want to put out the public report. Here it is decided not to. And I do think that's going to be kind of important in terms of when we talk about John Gruden specifically. I mean, this is not why we're doing the show, but as an aside, what that makes me think is that there was something in that report they really did not want. I mean, it's not brain surgery, right? There's obviously something in that report they really did not want getting out. You know, and when they find these teams, I mean, you forget the guys who own these teams and it is usually men have more money than God. So it's like the fines, you know, when there's ownership groups, the teams generate, they print money. So it almost feels like, I don't know, finding the Washington football team, $10 million is sort of like taking their pocket change for a week that exactly. their mom is going to give them when they get back inside anyway, you know, like it doesn't hurt them. And that was the only fine. They find them $10 million, which if you put into context, John Gruden's contract was he was making $10 million a year. So that's just for the price of one coach. Players do typically make a lot more than that. The TV deals are ridiculous. Some, right some players make more. Some money. players. Some players don't. You're right. Yep. Yep. NFL contracts have a wide range of guaranteed and unguaranteed money. But in any event, $10 million to someone like Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington football team, is basically a rounding error. 
Yeah, if that. So that's the background to this. The NFL has done an investigation. They've harvested 650,000 documents, presumably the majority of which are some form of ESI or emails. You know, and as we've talked about many times on our show, and as we all know, like once you put something in email, it, it's there. It's you, you really can't get rid of it, um, especially if you don't own those emails. So that brings us back to our, our old buddy here, John Gruden. He's since this investigation started, since the report comes out or doesn't come out, he's He's moved over to the to the Raiders. He's coaching them. He's making all this money. And cue June of this year. Yep. So in June of this year, emails started coming out that Gruden had sent to Bruce Allen when he was with Washington. And these emails are from 2011 to 2018. During this period, again, Gruden is not working in the NFL. He's working for ESPN as a TV announcer. The emails are bad. There is no way to sugarcoat them in any way whatsoever. They're derogatory. They're offensive. He's using racist language, homophobic language, mis- misogynistic language. He uses a racial trope to talk about Damar Smith, who was a former head of the NFL Players Association. He makes homophobic comments. He also heavily criticizes the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell. So I think that's, that's the context behind those emails. But those emails start trickling out. And as Max said, likely there is more to the investigation report. There are 650,000 documents. I think Washington had made side settlements with a bunch of the individual employees who had made allegations. But the only actual substantive stuff we see coming out are Gruden's emails. Do we know, and forgive my ignorance, this may reveal that Amin has done slightly more research on this topic than I have. Do we know, even not definitively, just do we have an idea of why these emails got leaked or, or what led no, to that or who? I don't think we do. And that's, that's I think, the crux of the Gruden lawsuit. Is And that's why I think this is kind of an interesting situation, whereas on the one hand, his emails are bad. And well, you made this point in our prep call, which I think is a good point. And we'll talk about the lawsuit in a moment. But the emails themselves are bad. He's not alleging defamation. He's not alleging false light. He's not saying that emails were doxxed. So the emails themselves are bad. The question, though, is why were they released? It's a sensitive investigation. There is no public report. But there's a slow trickle of his emails coming out starting in June through October until he resigns. Right. And I don't know. I mean, it's just interesting to me because the NFL, there are some sports that I think have done well with tolerance in various respects, right? Like the NBA, I don't remember, I don't remember if the first player who came out, I think it was one of the Collins brothers. And I don't remember if he ever landed with the team again, but I know that at least on paper, the NBA has been really good about inclusiveness. Last year, a bunch of their players took very principled and justifiable stands for racial justice and forced ownership groups to to do things to support democracy and racial combating systemic racism and all of that. I have never felt that way about the NFL. The NFL has a pretty nasty reputation. You know, things that come to mind for me are when Michael Sam was the first player to come out as openly identify as LGBTQ. He he went from probably a top three round pick to barely getting drafted by the Cowboys, I think, or the Rams. And I don't know that he ever got to play because, you know, when you, you get people who were supposedly character stewards of the league, like Tony Dungy saying they didn't want that kind of drama in their locker room. Drama being a, an openly gay person having to interact with homophobic teammates. On the other hand, they've been perfectly happy to let players who've used really horrific homophobic and racial slurs at various points, maintain roster spots and say, you know, the guy can play, what are you going to do? And and that's really the least of it. So I I say all of that, not to trash the NFL and get myself sued other than to say to the extent anybody from the NFL would even care about this, (laughs) but, but so much as to say, He's not alone. I don't think this is the only coach or executive in any of these organizations who has put this sort of thing on paper. So the only thing that I think is interesting here is why 
why I, I, I'm not taking out a violin for him. I don't feel badly for him. It is curious to me that he is the person who got nailed here, I guess. For I it. agree. And I don't think either of us necessarily, well, I don't think we support him at all. I mean, some of the emails that got leaked are Jeez, emails yeah. criticizing Colin Kaepernick and his protests yeah. of the NFL. And you're 100% right. Other sports have handled this stuff differently. Like last summer, my Milwaukee Bucks boycotted a game after there was another police shooting. So it is different. And I, I think that is the crux of this lawsuit. Why Gruden? The, the speculation I have seen is that he, Gruden had criticized the NFL commissioner. And so because of that, they were slowly trickling out emails. And that might be true. It is weird that it's his emails that come out and no one else's, which is why this is also an interesting employment situation or employment law situation. Right. And I think the other thing, whenever you get an actual lawsuit that involves college sports with the NCAA and somebody's job with a university or alternatively in one of the professional sports and them kind of being forced out of their role with, you know, whether as an owner of a team like Donald Sterling or, or something like this, the, the coaches, the executives are not employees of the NFL. They're employees of the various organizations, but the NFL, you know, if you recall back to Bounty Gate or some of these other scandals they've had, Bounty Gate was, I don't know, somewhere in the last 10 years, it came out that the New Orleans Saints were basically putting bounties on guys' heads in games on, on defense. So it was like, you know, 10,000 bucks or 5,000 bucks, anybody who knocks out this guy or, you know, hits this guy so hard, he causes a fumble, you know, coaches got suspended, management got suspended more wrist slapping fines were issued to the team, but it's hard to think of other, other employment scenarios where third-party organizations like the professional sports leagues can force employers to do things like this with their employees. Yeah. And it's also interesting from the commissioner standpoint, the commissioner is an employee of the NFL, they pay him and he's also in charge of policing them. So it definitely creates a conflict of interest. And I think this is also going back to your question of why were his emails released? I think that's a good segue in terms of his lawsuit or Gruden's lawsuit. In the complaint itself, he calls the treatment, his treatment, a Soviet-style character assassination. At, um, least he did, at least he didn't invoke Nazi Germany. Usually that's yeah. the go-to for folks like this is to, to cry that everything that happens to them is like uh, Nazi I, behavior. I, I was a little surprised by that too. <laughs> But his, his allegations are pretty simple. They're basically, look, this is a confidential investigation. You don't release the public report. There is all these documents. The only ones that come out are, his, are Gruden's emails. And they don't come out immediately. They come out in a slow trickle. And so based on that, he has several counts or claims in his lawsuit. One is interference with contractual relations. So that would be his contract with the Raiders. It could also be his marketing and sports deals, other types of sponsorships he has. His next count was tortoise interference for this respective economic advantage. He also claims negligence that the NFL acted negligently in selectively rele releasing his emails. There is negligent hiring that they hired investigators who failed to protect sensitive information, negligent supervision that they didn't supervise employees to prevent these leaks. And then two claims that are kind of common in these tort type lawsuits, civil conspiracy and aiding and abetting, which just means multiple people work together to commit these other. And so that's kind of the crux of it, basically, that all the NFL selectively released his emails despite Gruden not being under the investigation with the Washington football team. Because again, he was not an employee of that team. He was not at the issue. None of the allegations were about him. And then the second part is the NFL not releasing a public report, but releasing his emails. Yeah, 
the first couple things that come to my mind about the lawsuit are I suspect the NFL is going to release if they, I'm sure they already have, you know, or ESPN and the NFL have released their various, you know, denials and what have you. Yeah. It was like a very simple statement. We don't think his claim has any merit, something like that. Yeah. I think on the NFL end of it, they're my initial gut. And I always find my partner and I always kind of go back and forth when we have cases that involve highly sensitive information related to really bad conduct by an employer. How could they possibly want this to become a matter of public record? And I, I continue finding myself shocked by what people are willing to risk. But I guess to that end, this strikes me as a case where Gruden sort of is at a point where it doesn't matter to him and he might be inclined to burn things down and want this court tried, this case tried as much as possible in the court of public opinion, or, or he knows that that has enough risk to the NFL that he's going to be able to settle it at a decent number, but that the NFL is going to want precisely the opposite and really, really, really is going to want some very strict protective orders in place specifically because they don't want what else is out there to come out. And they probably don't want a record of why this stuff came out because if, and I am speaking in pure hypotheticals, let's say for argument's sake, it did involve criticizing the commissioner and there were implicit or explicit instructions to basically burn Gruden. That's kind of not going to work for them. hundred percent. I think from his standpoint, it is. And it's interesting too. I mean, the damages from him are pretty significant, but a lot of them are PR damages. Now, he's going to have damages with his contract that he lost or that he resigned from with Vegas. Now, I think him and the owner of the of the Vegas Raiders came to a settlement. We don't know the terms. And in the lawsuit, he seeks the balance of the contract less offset. So my sense is the offsets are going to be the settlement amount. But the, the PR aspect of this, the endorsement deals he lost, those are probably pretty significant. So I'm sure he wants to punch back. From the NFL standpoint, you're 100% right. I think you don't do something like this unless you've thought about it. I'm sure there are... At least I assume they were smart about how they crafted their emails internally before leaking this information. At the same time, this case isn't an arbitration. There is no arbitration clause here. It's a public lawsuit. And so I don't know how much of this is actually going to get out into the public domain, but there is potential pain for the NFL from a discovery standpoint. Well, I think that's the risk to them. I mean, I think you're probably, you're going to get pretty extensive litigation, I would assume, over the protective order issue, right? And what can be made public. And I I don't know. This doesn't strike me as the type of case that gets to summary judgment or trial. I think it probably. No, goes I think away. you're right. And I think the backdrop to some of that too is there are people publicly, including Congress, asking for a report from the NFL. They want to know what happened in that investigation. So there are other interests here that I think Gruden can use as leverage to really push for a better settlement or better PR for himself, so he can spin this in the right direction. Yeah, and I mean, Soviet-style character assassination. I just. Like, for all we hear, I don't know, for all we hear about how dramatic or like over the top or character assassinating our pleadings can be when we have way more sympathetic plaintiffs than this. And yeah, you know, he's not sympathetic at all. Yeah, he's he got a settlement still on a hundred million dollar contract or whatever is left on it. Right. Like, I, I can only assume this guy's walking away with eight figures in settled because I have no doubt what happened with the Raiders, right? Is there was some meeting with him and Mark Davis because he'd worked for the guy's dad and probably had known him for decades and said, look, John, very clearly we cannot continue like this. You're not going to last this thing, right? It's just, you're not going to weather this storm, you know, let's work it out, go after the NFL for it. It's not like Mark Davis cares, right? Like No, exactly. But I think the point you were trying to, you're about to make is the point where it, that's why this, I think, situation is interesting because it's a non-traditional employment lawsuit. He resigned, which is rare. You, you have constructive discharge types of cases, 
But a lot of time in employment, employment litigation, you're going to have a situation where an employer separates an employee. So that's a wrinkle. There's no allegation of a breach of contract. He resigned again. So he quit. And so he's not suing anyone for breaching his contract. He's not alleging discrimination based on a protected class status because he can't. In fact, it's the opposite. He's, he was yeah. creating, I mean, again, he wasn't an employee, but he said some pretty horrible things in writing and he wasn't a whistleblower. Yeah. So this whole situation is very unique from an employee standpoint, but you do sometimes see these types of claims of tortoise interference as part of different employment claims. It's rare to see a negligence claim, but that's just because the investigation aspect of this makes it unique. But you made a really good point that I, I, I want to circle back to, which is, What's not in this lawsuit? What are we missing? What doesn't? Well, he's not alleging defamation, so he's not claiming anybody has lied about him. I think that's pretty important, right? Like, he's not saying my account was hacked. He's not saying, you know, I didn't write these or somebody forged these. He seems to be admitting, yeah, I said these really horrible things. He's giving the requisite and, you know, standard, but I'm not a racist or I'm not a this or I'm not a that and I don't really believe this or what have you whatever other nonsense he's going to spew about it, but he's not claiming anybody lied about him. So there is no defamation claim. And you don't have anything like false light invasion of privacy. We're not seeing any claims that he's been misrepresented to the public in his in his conduct. He's not saying you guys have painted an unfair picture of me. He's pretty much acknowledging, yeah, I, you made me look really bad by my own hand. Exactly. And I think even his claims, like on the surface, it makes some sense of you know, why did his emails get released in a confidential, sensitive investigation? At the same time, his emails really aren't at the heart of the investigation. So it creates this weird catch-22 on both ends of it doesn't really matter if you release his emails because they don't go to the heart of anything. They're just kind of ancillary to this entire big picture of a bunch of other horrible stuff going on with the Washington football team. And as an aside, his emails are caught up in all of this. So I'm not entirely sure how it's going to play out. I haven't, I don't think anyone really is. I haven't seen any good legal articles on this kind of predicting, but it's definitely interesting and different within the space of employment law. Yeah. And I think it's another one where that to me strikes me as yet just another reason the NFL wants this to go away because forget, forget even about the exposure from a jury verdict or punitive damages perspective or, or any of that about the actual conduct of the NFL. The whole point of this is they didn't want, not the whole point of this, but the whole point of that report was they didn't want it coming out and they don't want anybody talking about it. But to going back to your point, they have to know if you're going to slowly release his emails, something's going to happen because you, it just has to. And you know, you're hundred percent right. I'm sure he had a meeting with Mark Davis right before he resigned. And really what happened was there was Another set of emails that came out, he didn't resign. More emails kept coming out, even as people were publicly defending Gruden. And so it was just clear more and more stuff was going to come out. Right. And it, it is an interesting calculus by the NFL, because on the one hand, if you don't, I, I mean, this is just the palace intrigue, me kind of now just speculating about what could go on behind closed doors. It does beg the question of how much of this was the brain talking to the feet or how much was this, you know, people in the middle having an... A, perhaps justifiable acts to grind with John Gruden, maybe independent of what he said about the commissioner, maybe just they got to look at the emails and we're like, screw this guy. But on the one I'm hand- slightly skeptical of that only because yeah. it's the NFL, but- Yeah, I'm with you there. I give them no benefit of any doubt. Um, one of my favorite lines in The Sopranos, one of their malapropisms was like, there's no scraps in my scrapbook. And everybody looked really confused at that character. Yeah, no, I give them no benefit of the doubt. I, I suspect it does have something to do with Goodell. At the same time, that's quite a personal vendetta to enact when you're trying to keep this report out of the limelight and do the NFL thing of, look, we find them, we looked into it, the bad guys got fired, let's all move on and, and stop talking about this and look at our great football product. 
oh, and by the way, we're going to make sure it stays in the public limelight because we're going to burn this other guy based on his emails that come out in that investigation. Like that part, to the extent that the NFL did orchestrate this at some level, it seems odd that they would do that given what that would do to ensure the report stays in the public, I don't know, zeitgeist, whatever. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So I think this one's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Gruden's attorney seemed very credible on paper. I haven't done too much of a deep dive, but has a good paper background, at least academic background. So, and I think the lawsuit was well-drafted and at least creative given a pretty bad set of facts. He said, or he wrote what he wrote and none of that is any good. And yet I think it's interesting for sure. There might be some- We're assuming he's being paid by the hour on this one, right? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, for his sake, I, he probably doesn't want to be paid by the hour, yeah, but it's going to be a lot of work either way. Yeah. Maybe it's a hybrid arrangement. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess to kind of bring it back to what we normally talk about and kind of think about it in terms of our own practices and whatnot. I don't know that there's a ton of takeaways because we don't, it is rare that any of us gets clients who A, have done something quite so egregious, but B, have the sort of contractual armor that an NFL coach is going to have in terms of guaranteed compensation, limited notions of what for cause termination might be, um, and just general resources at your fingertips. My only takeaway here is the creativity, both from like a legal standpoint, like the legal claims here are creative, in the context of the negligence claims, those you don't typically see. You'll see some of these tortoise interference claims. It happens occasionally in a traditional employment discrimination setting. More often it happens with non-compete clauses where sometimes actually it'll be the former employer suing a new employer alleging, you know, you hired our person, you're interfering with their contract or you're interfering with our client relationships. The negligence stuff is creative, I think. And I think independently, the PR battle, the, the public limelight aspect of this is creative too because Gruden can kind of roll in the ducktails of a bunch of people, including Congress, saying, why isn't there a public report on this? It makes no sense. You're fining the team eight, the Washington football team eight figures for pretty egregious sexual harassment allegations that seem to have merit. We should have a public report. So that's the part of this I find kind of interesting is you take a really bad set of facts and maybe you can still get something out of it. Yeah. I think the other thing too is just the importance of really doing your diligence on discovery on all of this, right? Because let's say you were one of the 14 or 15 individuals who were, and I that was something that came to mind at the time is like, yeah, these teams are the 85 guys on the roster, what are 53 man roster, whatever it is, practice squads and all of that. But there are office jobs associated with these organizations, you know, in the business operations side of it, you know, sort of how the teams are run, the player, you know, the the team management side, right? Player development, a draft, a general manager's office and all of that. And like, you forget these, there's a lot of white collar jobs in these organizations. And like, you can, as Amit and I are going to cover in a another upcoming episode, it, it is common to have hostile work environments in sports organizations as well. So you think about the 15 female employees who'd reported sexual or verbal abuse, and you think about the discovery of this treasure trove of emails of like executives. Yeah, maybe it's not this Alan and Gruden doing this in the workplace, but if this is the top executive there and he's sending these sorts of really horrific emails back and forth with his buddy, what other kind of conduct is he going to tolerate in the workplace? Exactly. And there's 150 witness interviews, and I'm assuming most of those are not players. So that goes to your point of an NFL team is a pretty big organization. It hires and employs a lot of people. And so if you have folks at the top who are sending homophobic, racist, sexist emails, what else are they allowing to happen within the workplace? 
And this is not unique. To, I mean, I'm, I've been pretty hard on the NFL in this show just because I don't think much of how the league is run or its ownership groups, but they're not unique. Like the Houston Astros, in, additioning, in addition to being a bunch of cheaters who beat my White Sox this year because they did get caught actually cheating a couple of years ago. I'm not just saying that as an aggrieved baseball fan. They've had some gender abuse and gender specific allegations in their organization recently in Major League Baseball. Um, no yeah, we college. Just talked, yeah. We just Go talked ahead. up the NBA and there's a couple of years ago, the Los Angeles Clippers had to force out their owner because mm-hmm. recordings came out of him saying pretty awful stuff. And there's, and we'll talk about this in another episode, but there is currently an investigation going on where outside counsel are conducting it into the Phoenix Suns and other racist comments that owner made. Yeah. And I think the Dallas Mavericks had another, they did. Yeah gender violence or gender abuse related or just sort of generally toxic and hostile work environment related allegations a couple years ago. Rachel Nichols did a big interview with them at some point. Yeah. And then they went out and hired Jason Kidd as their new coach who has had allegations of domestic domestic violence. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Um, it's pretty prevalent across sports. Unfortunately. Yeah. So this is sort of just one, one aspect of one of these cases. I want to give credit to Ahmet for coming up with a good idea on this and and thinking of it. The one we're going to do on the Phoenix Suns, I think is actually going to be interesting in a different way. I'm going to plug that future episode and hope people listen because I actually think that report for which there is a pretty good article and investigation mirrors a lot of the stuff that will be more applicable to what our bar sees on a, on a regular basis, where you have HR departments that are just handcuffed, can't really do anything with the person who owns this business, who's got a bit of a God complex, you know, cultures that take place and set in over time and the like. Obviously, the NFL case is something a little bit different, but you know, we hope we hope you've enjoyed something a little bit different today, and we're hoping to have a couple more like this for you guys soon. Yeah, and just to bring it full wheel, so to wrap up, um, I think th- the shout out of the week th- this week really, I, I want to shout out our listeners. Mm-hmm. I know some people have reached out to us. It's been kind of cool going through this experience, being able to do interviews of different guests who have different backgrounds, fun backgrounds. I've learned a lot through that process, but it's always really rewarding to hear people reach out and say, Hey, we actually are listening. We like what you're doing. So shout out to all of our listeners, all hopefully more than seven of them. And hopefully everyone has a great holiday season too. We're, we're taping this like late November. Hopefully it comes out sometime in December. So hopefully everyone's having a good holiday. Yeah. Stay safe. There's new fun COVID variants that are now making their way around. So obviously everybody continue to get your booster. I got mine. It's worth it. Get your booster, get vaccinated if you haven't already, wear masks, and continue to stay safe. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.